This is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Welcome back, my sweet, sweet friends. Today, we're speaking with Melanie Masserin, founder and CEO of Gia. Gia is a non-alcoholic beverage brand inspired by Mediterranean aperitivo culture and designed to change the way we think about drinking and socializing. As Melanie puts it, we want to take the word drinking back from alcohol. Gia has shown great success and popularity and even won the Esquire Drink of the Year Award. We've been following Melanie since we started and are very excited to have her on. Let's go to Melanie. Melanie Masserin, welcome to Champagne Problems. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. It is our pleasure. We are glad that uh, you are satelliting in from lovely Costa Rica. Um, <laughs> Melanie just shared with us that she came in from a surf session. Uh, so that is makes me very jealous. <laughs> All right. So we've been following you for a while. We followed you since we started our podcast because Gia has always been on our map. We are an alcohol, you know, related podcast and and we we do touch on a lot of alcohol-free beverages. So we reached out. You said yes. We're very happy you're here. Um so let's do a little quick small talk here. So you went to Brown. How did, how mm -hmm. did you like going to Brown? I loved it. I could talk about it for the whole hour. It was like <laughs> The most defining thing that ever happened in my life and yes yeah i, I, I love, love brown and like my kids will be able to go to whatever school they want but if they want me to pay for it they will have to be brown, <laughs> you gotta go brown. <laughs> i love it i love it well that's that's so cool because uh, i've been i have a buddy that lives in providence i've been to providence a lot i used to live up in maine and we'd come down there and spend some time and my daughter and i just recently went there and visited RISD. she's a she's an art kid and wants to go to RISD. So I just assumed you probably loved Providence and loved Brown, but I wanted to ask. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's hard not to love. All right. So let's dive in. I've done a little research and I, and I know that you, you stopped drinking and I, and I did read or, or hear that you, you didn't stop for like a big reason, you know, like a big thing happened and there was all these consequences or whatnot. So you kind of made a decision to do so, which you know, with our podcast, that's that's a little different, but it's also what we love. That's kind of the the type of transformation we love to see in people's lives. Not we, there's a lot of value in the people that have to get sober after battling some addiction type stuff, and 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 lots of conversation around that. But we really love to hear people that make conscious decisions to to evolve into a an alcohol free lifestyle. Can you give us some some background on how that how that unfolded for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think now it's like a conscious decision that I don't want to drink. But actually, the way that it started was I did like a few bouts on and off of like not drinking, mainly for like health reasons. And then I realized alcohol wasn't really like my main trigger, but I felt so much better without it. And so I just became a lot more conscious of like how I felt if I was drinking on any given night. So um, I was working for Glossy at the time and I was really busy. I was like, on two to three flights a week. It was just like a crazy period of my life. And sort of like without counting the days, I realized that like there were a bunch of nights in a row that I hadn't been drinking. And like, you know, in the blink of an eye, it had been a year or two years. Or I, I couldn't tell you even the exact date, but I was just like, oh, I guess I sort of live a mainly booze-free life now. And 
now people ask me to define my sobriety. It's like a question that I get like five times per day. You know, and I'm like, I have an annual martini because I feel like it doesn't commit me to anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it means that I drink so, so little. And by the way, like if I have that one martini, like, it hits you so hard. I'm really floored. funny. <laughs> It's like my friends really look forward to that martini because I I become really funny. Um, so so yeah, but I don't even think I've had I've had that you know in the past few years. When wow. you when you went through that to where you kind of moved into an alcohol free or mainly an alcohol free life, was there anything that you felt like inspired you to move into that direction? Was it like something you read or a conversation with a friend or a challenge from somebody or did you have any like accountability partners? Like how, or was that just something that you became self-aware of and you were like, Hey, I'm going to do this. Yeah. It's funny. It was, it was not like, it was not like a struggle where it was like, I needed a friend because I like needed a drink. I think if I had like really wanted a drink, I would have just like opened opened the bottle of wine. Um, but I just was just like exhausted and I think there was definitely a part of me that was burnt out and I was like just crashing in bed without even thinking about drinking and there was no like there was really no substitute at the time but I had done an elimination diet with a nutritionist like a year before and you know you have to cut out alcohol and then you reincorporate things to kind of figure out if they're triggers for you and um you have to reincorporate wine separate from like hard liquor basically mm. kind of like uh, a whole, you whole know, 30 type deal yeah well it's just like you know you're trying to you think that like you're like sensitive to gluten and i thought maybe i was sensitive to gluten which like that would have been a really big issue in my life and, <laughs> well, uh, uh, and it turns out like i'm sensitive to dairy and i never questioned it because i grew up in Lyon, where like 100 percent of your food is cooked in butter uh, yeah. and i thought you know i thought it was really healthy to have a yogurt every morning so like i obviously made lifestyle changes after i figured out that i was sensitive to dairy but um but yeah, I was like, I was like, oh, like wine is actually what I like the most. And it's what's preventing me from sleeping kind of. And mm-hmm. so I just became more aware of that. Like, it's not like I never had wine again. It was more like, do I want to feel this way tomorrow? Do I want to like open my eyes at four in the morning? And so, and I just didn't really. And um, I also cook and host a lot at home. So it was a little bit easier for me to have alternatives than like going out to dinner, which we're talking like five or six years ago when I think it was the sober curious movement wasn't quite where it is today. You kind of touched on this, but what was it like uh, socially for you, like among your friends when, when you became the one that wasn't drinking like your friends were, if that's even what it was? Yeah, very difficult. It's like, not only is it a social lubricant, but it's also like their peer pressure around drinking is so right. strong. So it's, it's not even like, you know, at least with my very close friends, it's not like I like need a drink to get the pizzazz to like go out and say hi to everyone it's more like oh you're being boring or are you like a you know party pooper or um things like that but what i realized and that sort of gave me the confidence to start gia because once i had this idea i was like going around asking chefs like do people ask you for non-alcoholic drinks and like no one would say yes and i was like i'm really trying to build a case study here like (laughs) nobody is telling me this is a good idea like ever um and i was like maybe it's because it's like there's such few options that people don't even think about asking and then the supply will drive them in which is actually exactly what it was but that was a bit of a leap of faith and um and so what i realized though is that when i was opting out of drinking very often someone else would as well so I was sort of like giving them the permission to be like you know what I'm also gonna have a bitters and soda or sparkling water or something it's like Tuesday because what I was hearing a lot from people was 
I don't want to go out because I don't want to drink. And it's like, I'm living in New York City. My kitchen is one square meter. I can't cook for myself every night, possibly. Like, I need to go out, you know? And so I was like, it's Tuesday. I want to go out and eat dinner somewhere, even if it's just like the chicken soup at Atla. And I was like, I don't want to go out because I don't want to drink. And I was like, why do these two things have to be mutually exclusive, you know? And then if we were at a bigger table, I would say, I'm not going to drink tonight. And like 90% of the time, someone else would say, oh, you know what? Me neither. So that's what sort of like gave me the confidence to move forward. I love that. I really, really love that. Uh, you know, neither one of us drank and, and I, I stopped a, a number of years ago and, and had very similar experiences. And although there was some of the negative stuff was around not being included you know, and then you kind of realize who your friends really are, <laughs> right? <laughs> There's a little bit of that. We don't want lame, sober Robbie yeah, around here yeah. killing our buzz. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think in a work environment, it's even more difficult. Like it was less prevalent when I worked at Glossier because the majority of the team was women. But having worked in investment banking before, it would be like everyone would go down for a drink. And, you know, if like someone wasn't drinking, it would definitely be. I don't want to say frowned upon, but noticed. Yeah. yeah and sure. it's all this attention that you don't want, you know? Uh-huh. Right. That makes you want to drink. <laughs> yeah. It makes me really relate to my vegan friends. Like I was questioning them for so long and now I just shut up, you know, like I, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so how's it, how do you feel like it's different culturally for, for like, you know, I mean, I know we wanted to talk a little about, a little bit about like the Mediterranean aperitivo, time and what that looks like because you know i mean i guess it's somewhat similar to what we consider to be like a happy hour over here is that a misconception but you know kind of falling into that social atmosphere and not drinking how does that how does that different differ culturally can you speak on that at all or do you yeah i mean i think um there's definitely the word aperitivo has been extrapolated to be like a full on culture in the south of France. There's like specific foods designed for it. And but I think also like the days are maybe longer in the summer. And so people sort of gather in this sort of like there's like a pretty long moment between the time when you arrive somewhere and the time when you sit down for dinner. And it's like that kind of all like golden hour um yeah. happy hour you know i think i think of like new york city life and like happy hour is like 5 to 6 30 and the oysters are half off you know it's like much more efficient like yeah <laughs> yeah right yeah dollar dollar uh, beer yeah i think of applebee's it's and like, like it's half like price you want to get more customers early for dinner. it's like we're more efficient there's like a business strategy behind it like whereas aperitivo is like just really getting yourself in the mood to not be working for the evening um in europe and uh so it's nice, yeah. Um, but it's it's definitely yeah, it like nice. it's also much more recurrent. I would say like I grew up, and I feel like every night of the summer, like there was someone at the house, and it can be as small as having you know olives and a glass of white wine if you don't have anything that's prepared. But it's uh, it's culturally like a, a full other day part that we really cherish. How how much is alcohol emphasized as a part of that? So it's funny, there's definitely a lot of alcohol, like in the town where I grew up in, Lyon, it's a very culinary forward city, but I think in the South, 
um, and that was actually part of the inspiration for Gia. I was like, a lot of the drinks are in the form of spritzes, not just like Aperol spritzes, because I feel like the resurgence of the um, Aperol specifically is like quite recent, but in the form of like everything is like spritz with sparkling water so or or something to make it lighter like even my grandfather and that's very sacrilegious like used to spritz his wine to make it lighter but he said that way i can have double you know and i think that's kind of the vibe um (laughs) my grandmother used to always like make cure royale out with her champagne uh like using cassis and it would drive my father crazy because he would bring her really nice champagne and she'd put this like sugar flavored syrup in um so i think that there is like definitely that kind of like light to low abv culture but like not counting how many you could have and i think the main difference is like in kind of like french culture and specifically mediterranean culture is that alcohol is really used to celebrate and you have less of the stereotype around like you need it to get through life you know like just like drowning your sorrows it's not like completely foreign in France but it's much less you have less of that ingrained in like everyday culture like my least favorite stereotype is like the wine mom stereotype like I will go to war to try to abolish that because I'm like it will be much easier to be a mom if you don't drink that much um but I just like hate the concept and um and I think it's like so diminishing to women and, and like that's not really something that like you have in France, for instance, but you have yeah. like any excuse to open a bottle of wine. <laughs> yeah, well, right. That's good. Like right. aperitivo is an excuse, right? And it's like daily at five. <laughs> that sounds delightful, honestly. <laughs> it sounds like a much, much uh, yeah. more appealing way to drink than the way that I was raised drinking, <laughs> uh, which is the way that you just explained it. It's very Americanized. It's very all or nothing, like let's catch a buzz or let's medicate. Um, Man, that just sounds so refreshing. Um, Unfortunately, I can't do it. Uh, (laughs) So let's, let's go to Gia. Tell us about the conceptualization, the, the, the development, the evolution. Let's hear it. all. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, I was like, okay, no one is going to tell me this is a good idea. So I guess I can't really like do this full-time right now (laughs) and so I was freelancing and I thought I'll just like work on it as if this was one of my projects and one of my clients and then sure enough like two months later I was like so enthralled in the project it's all I wanted to think about I was like I'm like firing every other client I'm not I'm only working on this but the way that I designed this product since like no one was giving me any sort of insights into what they wanted to drink if they weren't drinking is what I wanted to drink if I wasn't drinking and I was also listening to kind of like the tasting notes or the flavor profile that my friends were seeking when they were ordering their their, specifically their first drink of the night which I think is one that's really important both from a culinary standpoint but also from a social standpoint that's where like I would say if I was trying to solve a consumer problem the consumer being me that was like the most difficult ones the first drink because once you've said you're not drinking in the seconds the same people we order nobody cares right but it's like that's one that kind of this permission this invitation this um, getting you in the mood and so you know people would ask for a glass of wine and it'd say I want it to be dry I want it to be like no one ever wants a sweet wine but then everyone loves when the wine's actually sweet sometimes so it's like quite funny but there's like these notes right like it's like like everyone hates Chardonnay and it's like Chardonnay that's like quite dry and really delicious but uh, anyways that's like maybe just the French in me um, being picky and <laughs> I, I divert um so anyways i really wanted to create something that was dry mainly because it was the antithesis of 
traditional mocktails, which are very juice based. And I was like, I'm like, I'm 30. I want orange juice before my dinner. Uh, yeah. Like, that's like not <laughs> what I want. You know, I wasn't quite 30 at the time, but I still didn't want the orange juice. And so that's when I was like, okay, I need like a professional help because whatever is going on in my kitchen right now is not really functioning. And I met this guy who became our formulator. We still work with him today. And he did candy and then loved Mescal. <laughs> but for some reason, when I met him, he was like, I think non-alcoholic aperitif for like the future of beverages. And I was like, you are speaking my language. So oh, you're hired. Nice. And um, I was still consulting. Candy and tequila guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was like, he, he was like making this like sort of healthier candy, but then like had just a good like alcohol palette, right? And so I was like, okay, I guess I'm still working. And then I would like Venmo this guy every two weeks and we do a tasting. And that took a year and a half and a year and a half later, we launched Kia, but it was uh, it was a process because there's a full like development aspect of the flavor, and once you get it right in your lab, it's like another huge milestone to get it to taste the same in the factory. It was also very difficult to find a factory that would do this for us because we ended up with like a formula that was like a very potent blend of extracts that were quite pure and that were very clean because there's no alcohol to preserve them, but that were bottled in a bottle that was like an alcohol bottle so you had to find this like basically the factory that would be like clean for juicing that had the capacity to take on a very small client like our first batch was a thousand bottles and I thought I would never recover financially and then um and then a bottling line of an alcohol facility with like a very expensive hand applied cork cap which has been a luxury (laughs) how long how long have you guys been doing this uh, we launched in June 2020. So oh, cool. I started almost a year and a half. Yeah, it was a pretty accelerated year and a half to launch. And was that out of New York? Were you living in New York? So I was living in New York. And then a few months in, I actually, one of my projects was working for Sweet Green, And I was doing this big project for Sweet Green. So I was always back and forth. And I moved to LA for three months. And the third month was basically COVID. So then I stayed <laughs> Oh, okay. Is it? So now I live head, in LA. You live in LA, and is Gia kind of is it headquartered out there? Yeah, we have an office in LA now. Very cool. So, do you guys? Do you all sell Gia in like? I mean, is it? Is it where? Where can we find it? Is it? Are they in like wine shops, specialty grocery stores? Like where? Where can we order? <laughs> yeah. It online? So, drinkia.com um, has been our primary channel to date because we, you know, we. I really. I was like, I'm solving the problem of like. When I go out, I can't drink. So I wanted for Gia to be available in restaurants. So we were yeah. supposed to launch in April 2020 in restaurants only. So we've had a few pivots. Um, and we launched on drinkgear.com. And then last year, we actually launched on Amazon, which um, has been great to kind of bring in new customers. And then we are in 1,100 accounts offline. But I will say most of them are independent accounts. So we have a few chains like Erwan, Foxtrot, um, Lazy Acres, Bristol Farms, um, there are sort of like smaller regional chains, but we're not in like any of the big ones yet because they like don't really know what to do with this category. And I really hope that they figure that out in the next couple of years. Um, But right now it's like all the individual shops that we're so grateful for. Nice. Very and, cool. And are you are you partnered with any kind of um, like alcohol free bars? Like we had we we've had a couple um you know entrepreneurs that have some alcohol free you know meeting spaces 
around the yeah. country and so not partnered officially but i think we are represented in like most of those free bars which is great nice yeah yeah there's a there's a shop in charleston south carolina where um what's it called sachet sachet yeah sachet yes. is taking uh, the south by storm she actually just opened a emily is her name she's great she just opened yeah. a store in new york city as well yeah oh, cool. so we're uh we're actually headed down there sometime in the next couple of months to do a tasting a video tasting and we'll we're gonna taste Gia and we're gonna nice review it and everything and i'll make sure five I, stars yeah five stars done. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, it's great so it's great cool. to see these shops like boisson is obviously another very popular one and there's you know soft spirits in la and a few independent ones and like it's really great because i think there is a lot of confusion about the category and so we've got to be able to walk in and get like real advice like there's Nick from Boisson told me recently that they have 400 SKUs. Like that's to tell you how far we've come since wow. like 2019 when I was working on this. And I remember Seedlip was launched in the UK, wasn't in the US yet. And then while I was working on Gia, Kin launched. So, but it's like mm -hmm. obviously different and much more functional and whatnot. So 400 SKUs, that's, that's pretty real. Yeah, yeah, that's real. It's the real deal. Yeah. Does yeah. Gia have, does Gia have any type of like effects? Like, I mean, it, is it, no, it doesn't have no. anything in there. That, it, was, that... it was designed for flavor over function, okay. and I really wanted it to be designed, um, one, to not mimic an alcohol that already exists because I didn't want mm -hmm. it to be triggering to anyone who's in recovery, so really to taste sure. different. Um, but also, I Thank just you for think, that, like, by the, the way. CBD yeah. thing is like kind of snake oil to me, you know? Like, I mean, it's, it's like, I don't know if people like assign the value to it. They definitely don't always assign the value to non-alcoholic drinks. They're like, why are they so expensive if they don't even buzz me? And I'm like, well, ethanol is not the expensive <laughs> ingredients in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, right. And also you're like buying a craft small brand. So, but in general, like, I just don't know that I believe in the longevity of these like super functional beverages. And like, maybe I'm wrong, but it wasn't, it wasn't the approach. Like the approach for me was really culinary. Yeah, nice. Love that. We prefer that. Give us a little history on on Gia, the word, and how that came about. I know you have a his, uh, have a some of your roles at um, Glossier. Yeah, I was actually head retail for Glossier, so I was doing all of the. I was designing and setting up all the stores. Very cool. My point stuff. is, you had a creative yes. role, <laughs> and and so that transitioned over into Gia, and I would love to know kind of your creative process on that brand the look the feel the name all of it because that's just my interest for sure so it's funny like when we started i feel like it was like so it was like peak peak direct to consumer and i really felt like everything was designed for the internet and so i really wanted it to be designed like for the real world everything that i had done at glossier was about creating more meaningful experiences in the real world that would you know sort of compliments it was anti-omni-channel it was not like everything is the same and is one like virtual circle it was like you go online you have like an amazing dot-com experience you go offline you get other touch points and like you get to taste feel smell things um so when i started yeah i was like i want something that's beautiful on the bar i want it to look like old but new be really appealing really colorful i really wanted it to be like unapologetically loud because i felt like all of the new brands were very like, I keep saying that, um, Aesop and like very minimal, which are obviously super beautiful brand. And actually Aesop is like the reference in like retail design, but 
Gia just needed to be different and sort of not compete, but really stand on its own next to alcohol brands, which, you know, have been very masculine and have been very confident in the way that they speak to the customer. And so I was like, we're confident too. You know, we're, we're Gia. We're not like a lesser version of an alcohol brand and we're not girly. We're like, we're a little bit of, we're a brand that doesn't make you feel like you're just missing something. So the name actually comes um, from the last name of Giacinto Ghia, who was a car designer who started a car shop in Italy called Carrozzeria Ghia that designed a famous Carmen Ghia, among others. And so a lot of our branding is inspired by car design because you can't drink and drive, but also there's that feeling when you're driving, imagine you're driving like a vintage car down the coast of Italy. It's like, one, you can't be fucked up, two, you're really present and you're really happy and you're really connected. And that was the Gia feeling and it works in a lot of different languages. And by miracle, no one had thought of making a beverage with that name before, which mm. is actually a very tough filter. <laughs> um, Sipping on some Gia. Yeah, yeah. You can't do Gia without the vowels. So that was like after, you know. <laughs> so, so that's Gia. And, um, and the idea was, you know, we, this bottle is going to be, a little bit smaller than most bottles because we wanted to sit in the front and also because the ingredients are fresh. So you didn't want this huge pressure to like have to finish the bottle um, if it was too big. So there were a lot of considerations and that's, that's, yeah, that's it. Sorry. I get, I get excited about this stuff. <laughs> do you drink it cold or like on the rocks? Like how is it, how do you present it? So we used to say like you can drink it on the rocks, but it's too bitter for most. So now we're not saying that. Uh, we're saying that you should spritz it. So I would say most yeah. people spritz it with one part Gia, two parts bubbles is the magic formula. I drink it on the rocks, but I've had so much of it that my taste buds are shot. You know, they're like, don't even taste bitter anymore. And it's just like, um, so the um, cold will actually really mitigate the bitterness. So I always say that it tastes better cold and you don't have to put it in the fridge after you open it, but it's you know, it just keeps the freshness. So yeah. my personal favorite, honestly, is like one part Gia, two parts just like Topo Chico sparkling water and a slice of orange. It's enough for me. Mm. It's very fresh. Mm. But if you want something sweeter, you can mix with a kombucha, you can mix with a tonic. Yeah, ginger beer is a very, very popular combo. Um, so, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, um, with all the, I, I don't love the word mocktail, but the the people who are creating these drinks are, are I'm sure they're using Gia in, in their new recipes and concoctions. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's been it's been great seeing the response. Like, not even with Gia, but just the number of restaurants that have taken on non-alcoholic menus and the number of mini bars where all of the proper hotel mini bars. And of course, I'm so happy it's Gia, but I'm also so happy as a consumer that when I get to a hotel, like it's not just Mexican Coke for me, you know. A yeah. Mexican is the better version of it, you know. It's just, it's just, <laughs> right. it's just not like a just a soda option. Let's talk a little bit about the momentum that our. I mean, now it's our whole world where we're headed into this no and low alcohol living. We feel like it's 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 here to stay. I mean, do you feel the same way? I definitely think it's here to stay, and I think we're still learning a lot about this category because we, it it hasn't been like a like an exact kind of like data set that we've seen over the past few years because COVID I think has shifted the habits of yeah. many in so many different ways. But one of the things that has become very clear from the past 12 months actually is that the younger generation is driving this change like 
even faster than anyone else, which leads me to believe that it will stay. They basically don't drink wine anymore, which is kind of wild and kind of amazing, I guess. Yeah. 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 People are, are super focused on health and wellness and mental health, which yeah. uh, I mean, it's and just I mean, fantastic. I even, I work with a lot of young adults and adolescents that, you know, struggle with substance stuff and a lot of them don't drink alcohol. Yeah. No, yeah. they just love drugs. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, it's like kind of weird, but it's definitely a thing. What, what is very like joking aside, very encouraging for us is from just the customer surveying and like even like reading our CX, you know, emails, it seems like the GIA customer is probably 90% a customer that's in moderation and 10% a customer that's in recovery or sober um, or cannot drink ever because of medical reasons. So it's like, and it's a pretty diverse audience, I would say like pre-split male, female and cross-generational, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Like if you think of successful alcohol brands, like they're also transcend generations so that's the goal yeah this is a weird question but i wonder if people will use gia to mix with alcohol drinks absolutely yes 100 yeah. so it's like but a mixer <laughs> there's obviously it's an expensive mixer to use it in restaurants like for on-premise accounts so you won't see it that often as like yeah. just a flavor agent but my friends always thank me for making the best mixer as they add a splash of tequila to it. What they don't realize is the tequila drink they make is still like a very low ABV, kind of like a lighter version of the drink. Um, but we hear from a lot of people that they like to buy it, have the cans in the fridge, and then on a Tuesday, they'll have it on its own. And on a Friday, they'll mix it, which I guess is also good for us. And, and even, yeah. you know, if we're trying to change the way people drink and kind of shift mindfulness from the plate to the glass, it's still a better mixer there's no sugar it's all natural right. um it's like a really good blend of like real ingredients so i'm down yeah. <laughs> we are too but the, i knew i knew all miscalgia so what do you think the greatest benefits of our society our culture drinking less what do you think the, as a whole what do you think the benefits of that could be going forward i mean there's an iguana walking towards me. <laughs> yeah, you're in Costa Rica. <laughs> Let's meet him. Um, well, I don't know nope. if you can see, but it's definitely oh, here. Um, I think there's obvious benefits on mental health, which the word mental health kind of like gets under my skin a little bit because I feel like it's so overused. Like the, the concept of mental health and people caring about it a lot more is obviously like, amazing um but i feel like the word is a little bit overused um but like alcohol is a depressant and i think people are starting to realize that and that's a huge positive for me is just this consciousness that there's a direct correlation between what you put in your body and how you feel um people i think health and wellness is like in the past few years also started to prioritize sleep um most recently and you know alcohol like disrupts your sleep cycle for sure so that's another one. Uh, but I think in general, like, we just have better life experiences when we're not drunk. And I, I think you take that realization when you're like at a party with a lot of drunk people and you yourself are not drunk. Like maybe you're like, oh, maybe that conversation is like not that deep or, um, or like, yeah. I feel like <laughs> the main shift for me is like every morning I wake up and I'm just so glad that I didn't drink the day before because I feel fresh and I, you know, been here waking up at like 5.45 a.m. and like writing a cookbook 
kind of just clarity that I didn't think a few years ago when I was seemingly busy and seemingly like my career was moving very fast. Like I just like didn't have that. Um, and, um, and I'm just so grateful for it. And I, I hope that it means that like as a population, as a generation, we will feel this way collectively. Yeah. You kind of answered all these, yeah. uh, kind of all these questions already, but is there, is there, is there anything else that you felt like has been improved in your life since you gave up, you know, drinking alcohol regularly? I, I really try to be, um, not preachy about not drinking because I, yeah. I, yeah. I really believe in like pro, you know, people choosing to do whatever they want and having the pro option choice. freedom to, I was like pro choices. I don't pro know. Choice. I feel like these terms are kind of <laughs> maybe not what I'm trying to go. Uh, uh, um, ESL. Um, so <laughs> I really believe in people like having all of the options to do whatever they want. Um, oh, sure. And so yeah. if you don't want to drink, then you'll have something that you can not drink. And that was really kind of the idea behind it. Yeah. So we're never like, suggesting people don't drink if they feel like drinking but uh and i, I should say drinking alcohol because i think the bigger mission is to take back the word drinking um from yeah. alcohol yeah. in general yeah but the way i always describe it to people is like i think that when you stop drinking at this three to six months mark there's going to be a point where you feel like you're just operating on a faster level it's like a lot of people describe it almost as a high which is also like obviously like very polarizing but I feel like when I was drinking, I was operating at 70% and now I'm operating at, you know, much closer to a hundred and I have more energy and I just feel better and stronger physically. And so that's why it's hard almost to get back to drinking. It's like, I can have the annual martini, but I can't have it daily. I want it to be very intentional. Like you can choose to do it. It's the same way that you can uh, choose to, you know, go surf and be tired after or, or have like a heavy meal, but, but it has, we have to understand what it does to us. Melanie Masserin, why do you care? Mm, I think, I think like everything that I do in my life relates to kind of like making and sharing a beautiful life. Like maybe beautiful is not the right word, but it's like that sort of implies like making the most out of every moment. And I think like every drink counts or every interaction counts. And like, I just want people to feel good you know in the same way that like I feel good with Kia and it's open so many conversations for me um so if when I hear like individual stories it's all about the sum of the individual stories and I hear so many individual stories of people that say like they felt bad before going out and now they just bring Kia or like they couldn't drink for whatever reason or now they get to have like a drink with their sober parent or and all of these you know, I read the gift notes every day of like in Shopify, like you can see people oh, gifting man. and it's so cool. Like it never gets old. And sometimes I, there's not that many because it's not like a gifting season. And so I save them for like a few days and I just read them before I go to bed and it's just the best, you know, good way to there's some the really funny ones. That's so awesome. I, that makes me care so much. Love it. Love it. Great answer. So what's next for Gia? What else are you working on? What do you got coming down the pike? Oh, guys, we have so much coming down the pipe. It's overwhelming, but I'm so excited. Good. And Good. Uh, we are doing a full relaunch of our aperitif. Um, so that's coming in a few months. And there's a lot of different factors, but we are like, we have like, we looked at every single ingredient that's in the bottle. We are working on um, 
making some of those extracts ourselves so that we can like know exactly where they come from and the quality of them. We're we're swapping the one that we used for kind of sweetening um, and we are making our own custom bottles. So the bottle is going to change and like we've been working on this for two years. We could never afford to do it and Ooh. the COVID supply chain made it super difficult, but we always wanted a bottle that was like the, the real Gia bottle, the forever bottle. And uh, it's almost ready. It's being made as we speak. Oh my God. It's so cool. It's like oh when you touch God, it, it has little so waves cool. on it. It's so great. I'm so excited. <laughs> that is really cool. Well, you're obviously oh, yeah. successful and that's awesome. Uh, no, we're super excited. It's like, it actually now is like cheaper to make our own bottle than order a stock bottle. That's how weird the world is. So we kind of made the decision, but oh, is it really? it's a big risk, no, obviously. Uh, but I think everyone that I told that says why are you changing the bottle i love the gear bottle and i, I give them like a, a little sneak peek and they're like oh, okay this is still the gear bottle but it's like the real gear bottle and it's exactly <laughs> what it is it's like the grown-up version that's cool <laughs> that is awesome all right melanie well thank you so much for taking the time while you're in lovely costa rica to come on and talk to us we really appreciate <laughs> it i'm living the brand um thank you so much i'm gonna have an aperitivo now yeah enjoy nice. enjoy watch that beautiful sunset down there thank you yeah, so much thanks, for having me thanks for hanging All with right, us thank you the information and opinion shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice if you feel like you may need professional help here are some resources for the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit smsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit dilworthcenter.org or call 704-372-6969 or visit the theblanchardinstitute.com or call 704-288-1097.